Welcome to the Life Point Louisville podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Sean McGill. For more information about this podcast and for other resources, visit lifepointlou.org. We're so excited to be in church, and uh, today we're continuing on in our series called A Great Cloud of Witnesses, and we've been taking people in the Bible, uh, those that have went before us that um, might have a great lesson to teach us, and we've been breaking down their lives. And so if you've got a Bible with you, this is a great series to get it out and just mark in it. And so we'll be kind of going verse by verse through a story today. Uh, found in the book of Genesis, and we're not going to go too far from where we were two weeks ago when I kicked off this series, and so we're just going to we're going to go uh, to to Abraham and Sarah's grandkids, and so we're excited about that. Two quick announcements: Easter is coming up, everybody, and so Easter is the seventeenth. Is this on? Is there there a power button here that I should be? pressing. Maybe somebody could turn it on. I, I might have should have done that. But um, Easter is coming up on the 17th at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And so mark your calendars, two services on that day. And then uh, one other announcement that I want to announce since it started last week, and that was weekly women's prayer. We believe that the church should be built on a foundation a prayer. We don't just want to say we pray, but we want to actually pray. And so um, I, I do want to share this. Uh, you guys probably figured it out by now since we said it was there. Uh, but we just recently got an office space at the church. And so it's located over in Middletown. It's a beautiful space where we can do ministry throughout the week, uh, Monday through Friday, and uh, when we're not here. And so, so grateful for that space. And so we're doing weekly women's prayer in that space, and it's Thursday mornings at 6.30 and at noon, twice a... Huh? Tuesday. See if the teaching TV was working. I don't know if anybody is coming out for this, but uh, Tuesdays at 6.30s and, and 6.30s, 6.30 and noon. And so that's your two announcements. Hey, Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one. Hebrews 12, verse number one. Therefore, the Bible says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's where we've got the name of our series, great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. How many of you know that sometimes sin can entangle us a little bit? Anybody ever let some bad decisions get you a little bit entangled? It said, and let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And so Hebrews 12, verse number one, the race marked out for us. Today, I want to talk about the person that I believe if they were to come down and kind of spend a moment with us on our front porch or come down and take some time to have a conversation with us. Uh, and what they might say is a guy named Esau, Esau. Anybody ever heard of Esau? He's in the Old Testament and he is the grandson of uh, Abraham who we discussed two weeks ago. And Esau's life, I think, would speak really boldly about one very important thing that we all struggle with and that is our hunger. This one word that has the potential to impact so much of our life. And it's our appetite. It's our, our hunger. Does anybody ever, uh, or has anybody ever met anyone that's ruled by their appetite or ruled by their hunger? Maybe you've been in that situation before the other day. Somebody brought to the office some bunt cakes. And even uh, know that I'm in great shape if round is a shape, and I know that I shouldn't eat the bunt cakes. There's just something about bunt cakes. 
As hard as I want to push back against them, as much as I don't want to eat them, I mean, they came to the office. I can't waste them. Somebody paid for them. Somebody took the time to bring them as a gift. I mean, it's even worse if it's crumble cookies, right? I mean, you know, those, those things are like 3,000 sticks of butter in them, but they're just so good. And here's the thing about appetites, right? They will either kind of rule you or you will rule them. And when it comes to butt cakes, sometimes they want to get the best of me. They sometimes are really hard to rule. See, our hunger is something that all of us have to learn to manage, Our appetites are something that can be extremely powerful. And if you're not careful, this this appetite that's inside of all of us will lead us to this, this, this unquenchable thirst in life that has the potential to take priority over a whole lot of things. Hunger is just that powerful. And if we don't pay attention to this very small slice of life, I believe it has the potential not to only influence, but really really determine the direction of our life. Our hunger has the potential to not just influence, but determine the direction of your marriage, the direction of your career, the direction of how you raise your children, the direction of your relationships, your hobbies. See, here's one big overarching idea that I learned a long time ago in my walk with God that I have no idea. I have no idea what God might want to do with me. But the thing that can sabotage, the thing that God might want to do in me is my ability or inability to manage my hunger. The thing that will either rule me or be ruled by me. It's the thing that can shipwreck or sideline people. It shipwrecks and sidelines people all the time. So there's a lot of different hungers that we're all faced with. We hunger for food. That's kind of the obvious, and it has the potential to sideline some goals in your life. We hunger for intimacy. Anybody out there? I mean, all the guys said, amen. I gave your top two, food and sex, right there at the top. You're like, that's really all that there is, food and sex, food and sex, right? Maybe you hunger for progress. There's this thing inside of you that just always wants to advance, that always wants more, that, that can't sit still. You hunger for progress. You hunger for stuff. Anybody out there just hunger for more stuff? Thank God for sponsored ads on Instagram. They not only grow the church, but they empty my pocketbook. And so we can hunger for stuff. We can, we can hunger in life to be, to be envied. This thing that, that is in us to, 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 to want to be envied, we can hunger for respect. We can hunger for more stuff. <laughs> we hunger for stuff and then we hunger for more stuff. We can hunger for fame. We live in a world that, that hungers for fame, that hungers for not only fame, but acceptance and recognition, very powerful things in our life. We hunger for not only stuff, more stuff, but also new stuff. I mean, how many of you have ever went into the Apple store, got online to get a phone when your current phone was perfectly fine? This isn't a message on that, but that's inside of all of us. It's hardwired into us to want stuff, more stuff, new stuff. We hunger for winning we just, this, this thing in our life that makes us want to walk into every scenario and just be a winner. And here's the thing, these things aren't bad. I'm not saying that any of these hungers in your life are a bad thing. In fact, I believe that God created the hunger in your life. In fact, for most of these things, God created that hunger in your life. What happens is that God creates them, but sin distorts them. 
That, that, that God creates something beautiful in us, but there's an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy and distort the hunger in your life and cause you to step away from, from a, a future that, that God has for you and, and ultimately trade it. Trade it for, for what's in the now. Trade it for what's right in front of you. A couple things about hunger that I think is so important to understand. The first is this, that our hunger is never fully and finally satisfied. See, the hunger in your life is never fully satisfied. And if you don't believe me, you should have a child. Because if you have a child, you'll learn from very early on that hardwired in every one of us is this hunger that always shouts this four-letter word. More. We need more. We need more fame. We need more success. We need more recognition. We need more stuff. We need more new stuff. We need more in our career. We need more in our relationship. We need more, 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 more. Anybody ever been there, right? You just like, there's this hunger for more. And the thing about our hunger is it will either rule us or we will rule it. And your hunger is always saying you're more. And so it makes you live in this constant state of comparison. And how many of you guys know comparison is a trap? Comparison will, 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 will cause you to live life from a place where you're never content. You're never happy. You're never, you know, just okay with what you got. Hunger, if unchecked, it will fuel discontentment in a big way. You'll think if I had that degree or if I had that opportunity or if I had that job and we'll look at the lives of others and say, well, if I had as much as them and if I had as much as her and if I had a relationship and wasn't single and if I had that career path and if I would have been born into that family and if I would have been dot, 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 dot. And this comparison, this hunger in us, if we're not careful, it will fuel discontentment in our life and we'll live in a way where we're always feeling less than. We're always starving for more. It's a trap that we can so easily fall in. The second thing that our hunger does is our hunger always whispers now. Have you ever noticed that your hunger doesn't really whisper later? Your hunger doesn't whisper, hey, you, you need this later, not now. You've been there at 12 o'clock scrolling through the gram. And the sponsored ad comes up and you're like, I need this now. And you find yourself at 12 in the morning, 12 in the morning, Apple Pay shopping through the sponsored ad. You find yourself in a moment where you have the goal to lose 20 pounds, but bunk cakes come into the office and, and you look at them and you think, it's okay, I can have one now. It's not a big deal. I mean, I can fix it later on. I need it. In fact, I'm actually really hungry. I'm pretty much starving. It won't hurt me that bad. And that's what our hunger does. It's never satisfied. You're never, you know, to this place where you're just constantly full. See, it's how God wired you because he didn't ever want you to be constantly full because if that were true in those areas of our life, it would mean when it came to our relationship with God, you might get to a place where you're constantly full of him too. And he doesn't want you to get to a place where you're just full of him, where you think you've got all you need of him, but there would be this constant pursuit of more of him. And so again, God creates the appetites in our life, but sin comes alongside and it tempts us, it tempts us. To, 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 to just, just a little bit opt 
opt for what we want now over later, for the immediate over the future. Let me give you a couple of illustrations of this just to help you know that this is true. I want you to think about this with me. In fact, I look at my parents and I look at how I grew up and I look at the hunger that, 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 that at one point in my dad's life was mismanaged. That there was a hunger in his life, and some of you, you, you can kind of relate to this story. There was a hunger in his life for, for really what was a sin. And not every hunger is a sin. Not every hunger is immoral or illegal or whatever. But, but in this case, there was a hunger in his life for a bottle that just was incontrollable. And that hunger for a bottle led him to some really nasty things. And, and his hunger affected me. See, his hunger left me abandoned. His hunger left me on the sidelines. And you wouldn't say that that's something that he ever intended on doing. You wouldn't say that that's something that he had a desire to do. But hungers left unchecked, they will either rule you or you will rule them. And so what happened is here I was on the sideline and here I was being left out all because of somebody else not knowing how to manage their hunger. Some of you, you can look back on your life and you can look back as a kid and your mom and your dad, they were chasing something. And in a moment, it was more important than you. And it's painful. You might be thinking, no, I grew up in a pretty good Christian home or I'm pretty good now. And I think the equivalent that I'm struggling with and you know, that I have to watch myself with is the equivalent is just your attention. That, that, that right now I can rob you know, somebody important in my life by just shifting my attention to something else that's not bad. You think about social media or Instagram or this need to consume media, right? And it so easily can grab our attention. And we can shift our attention from what we want, great relationship, great parent, engaged, focus, and cause you to, to be on this side and trade that. And trade what is important and trade the future and trade, you know, all of these things for a now. And the thing about it is, it's a cycle that's really hard to stop because your hunger is never satisfied. And it always says, it's okay now, you can make up for it later. And so your hunger, it'll, it'll do that. Your hunger, it'll, it'll impact others in your life. And that's the power of hunger. And some of you in this room, your deepest pain, the deepest thing that you're struggling with in life is not because of your hunger, but because of somebody else's hunger left unchecked. And isn't it interesting as well that we can walk into a place like this? We can worship, we can hear great preaching. Amen. Just had to throw that in there. I promise every preacher is a little insecure. You can hear great preaching and you can have great worship experiences and then you can walk out of here and those same things that you thought you had a handle on want to whisper to you again, want to creep back into your life again. That sin that you thought you beat, that moment that you thought you drew a line in the sand, they begin creeping back in and you're thinking, how could this be? How could it be? How, how could it be that I was just in a moment like this and then this comes back? It's hunger. It's appetites. And they're constantly begging for your attention. And so you can either rule them 
or they will rule you. And we're not the only ones that's struggled with this. In fact, if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, there's a story about two brothers named Jacob and Esau. Hey, how you doing? Looking good, TV. Appreciate you. It's okay to laugh in church. 1800 BC, there's two brothers. There's an older brother who is a hunter and a warrior and a younger brother who is a thinker and a schemer and also a really good cook. And Jacob and Esau are the grandsons of Abraham and Sarah, who we talked about two weeks ago. And this story, um, there's a really a central theme around this story. And it's something that we don't really understand because we don't have a modern day equivalent really for it. And it's this idea of something called a birthright. For some of you, you have no idea what a birthright is, but but in, in the Old Testament, especially, and as you look back to the past, this idea of birthright was actually a really big deal. Now, I know there's no modern equivalent to it, so you just have to kind of grasp this with me. But when it came to birthright, if you were the birthright child, meaning you were first, and so uh, here, here we have a few kids here, and so, so whoever was first, not because, you know, of anything that you did well or not because of anything, you know, how you looked or how you acted or how you treated your parents or whatever, just because you were first, you got the birthright. And so if you got the birthright, this was a really, really big deal because you would receive double the inheritance, sometimes three, four times the inheritance. I mean, it was, a, it was, it was incredible to have the birthright. You would also get judicial authority. If you're like, what is that? That means that you actually had the authority to settle family matters and disputes. Him, who wishes you had that, right? Like whatever you said goes. I mean, you go into your family, they're all arguing. You lay the javel down. You're like, this is what we're going to do. Deuces. You had the authority to do that. And they all just kind of had to follow suit. They had to listen and pay attention. Uh, uh, above that, not only did you have, you know, double the money or triple the money and this judicial authority, but you also had this special blessing of the father, that also in that time meant you also had this, this blessing to them they, they, they thought of it from God as well. So not only the father, but in that culture, it was equivalent to God's blessing. And so the birthright was very cherished and it was very prized. It meant power, it meant money, it meant blessing and authority. And so in the middle of this story in Genesis chapter 25, we see, we see these brothers, an older and a younger, and this impossible um, tension and this drama built around the birthright. And so in verse number 24, it says, when the time came for her to give birth, uh, there were twin boys in her womb. And the first one came out was red and his whole body uh, was like a hairy garment. And so they named him Esau, and so here's, he's first, twin boys, he came out first. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Now, if you've ever heard of the story of Jacob and Esau, that's how you've heard it described, Jacob and Esau. But really, it should be Esau and Jacob. But because of what has happened in this story forever, it's described as Jacob and Esau. And so Isaac was 60 years old. Remember Isaac, the promised one that we had talked about uh, a few weeks ago, was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Next 
scripture. And the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter. I mean, he was a man's man and he was out in the open country while while Jacob was content to stay home among the tents. What was he doing in the tents? Well, Isaac had a taste for wild game uh, and loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. What was he doing in the tents? He was cooking. He was uh, cooking up, in fact, some stew. And so the story begins this way, that Jacob was cooking some stew and Esau, who had been hunting, came in from the open country and he was famished. He, he was really hungry. And the Bible says this, he said to Jacob, quick, quick, like right now. Remember, hunger always says now, never later. And the moment he says, quick, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm what? I'm famished. I'm so, I'm so hungry. Let me have some of that red stew. Verse, next verse says this. And Jacob replied first, sell me your birthright. I mean, here's the younger brother. For the first time in his life, he's got an upper hand. I mean, I don't have an older brother, but I would think if I grew up with two brothers that, uh, you know, younger brother, older brother, there's, you know, there's some fighting that goes on every once in a while. There's, there's, some, there's some potential at any time you can get it for the younger brother to want the upper hand over the older brother. And here's his moment. I mean, here's his moment where Jacob's like, I've been waiting for this my whole life. I mean, come on, somebody. My brother is hungry, so I think, I think this is what I'll do. And he'll never do this, but I might as well try it. I mean, he looks pretty hungry and he looks pretty famished. I mean, was he really? I don't know. And he says, all right, well, let's try this. First, sell me your birthright. Now, if I'm the older brother, here's what I do. I mean, I just pull the younger brother up and punch him in the face and like, hey, get out of my way. Give me some stew. Isn't that how older brothers work? But this is where the story gets interesting. And this is the question that I have for you today. And it's this, who in their right mind, I mean, honestly, would trade their birthright for a bowl of stew? Really? Who would trade reputation, honor, power, financial blessings, authority, career, all these things for a bowl of stew? Who would do that? Nobody would. But then again, people do it all the time. So the answer to this question, who would, who would trade their birthright for a bowl of stew is this. You might. I might. Your neighbor might. In fact, I meet people as a pastor every single day that have done this. That without thinking about it, maybe haven't hasn't done anything illegal or immoral or anything like that, but their appetites ruled them. Their hunger spoke now, spoke you need it. Their hunger was never satisfied. And in a moment, they gave up something that was incredibly valuable, the future, for a moment, for a bowl of stew. Who in their right mind would do that? We all might for the right bowl of stew. See, hunger always, always says trade the ultimate for the immediate. 
Hunger always says, if you want it, if you need it, well, guess what? You deserve it. And this plays out all the time. It plays out for the business owner, the small business owner that's like, you know what? I need to get ahead. I want to get ahead. And so I'll just cut a few little corners. I know I shouldn't do that. I know that's not a wise thing to do. It's only a little lie. And we trade our reputation later on. We trade the thing in which we'll be known by to get ahead in a moment. And so you look at your life and you do something that you're not proud of. And again, it may not be illegal. It may not be immoral, but you just push ahead. You don't value relationships. You run over people and you trade this thing later on. This thing in which you would be known for. A man of integrity, a woman of integrity. Somebody that values people and you trade it for the immediate thing that says, I need success. I need this now. See, every day we're faced with things in front of us where, where if we're not careful, we'll trade. We'll trade things that are valuable. We'll trade things that in the long run that we have no idea how they might impact our lives for a hunger that just says you need this right now. And so if you're writing this down, write this down. Your hunger, and I've said this 10 times already, but your hunger will either rule you or you will rule it. But I want to phrase it a little different. And it's this, your hunger will either rule you or it will ruin you. See, we can either rule it or it will ruin us. See, your hunger not only has the potential to rule you, it has the potential to ruin you. It has the potential to ruin your relationships, to ruin the respect in which people give you, to ruin your career, to ruin your integrity, to ruin your marriage. And we see it all the time. And so Esau comes in, verse number 32, and he says, look, I'm dying. I'm dying of starvation. I mean, it's a little kind of a little drama queen. I mean, honestly, in that, I mean, you're probably not dying, Esau. I mean, you may be really hungry. You may be famished, but you're not dying. But he comes in and isn't that hunger lies to us. Hunger makes you, makes you exaggerate your circumstances. And here he is and he's hungry and all of a sudden he's dying. Well, I don't even know if that's how you die. Just being hungry from one day working in the field. You could probably go a few more days than that. And so he comes in, he's like, look, I'm I'm dying. I'm dying of starvation. And so he says, what good? What good is my birthright to me now? Remember, hunger always says now, not later. What good is the birthright to me now? I mean, now it means nothing. It means nothing till dad dies, so don't worry about it. It means nothing till later, and I can get it back, and we can fix this, and we can do all of that. What good is it? Well, it's a lot of good. Because Esau, you're about to trade. You're about to trade your future for something immediate. So Jacob says, first, swear to me. Swear to me your birthright is mine. I mean, this younger brother, I mean, he's cutthroat, right? I mean, he's just going for it. So Esau swore an oath thereby selling all of his rights as firstborn to his brother, Jacob. 
And on the outside, that seems incredibly insane. But once upon a time, we've all made decisions or we've all saw people make decisions like that. We may think, really? Really? He traded his future for a bowl of stew? How could he make that exchange? Now, this is the point in the story where I wish I could rewind. And I wish I could go back in time and I wish I could stand in that moment. And I wish maybe I could be that cloud of witnesses for him because I would look Esau in the moment and I would let him know, hey, I'm from the future. Hint the close. And Esau, Esau, you got to listen. You're, this is a rare moment. And you don't, you don't realize what God might want to do through you one day. But here, here's Esau, something you have to know. I know you're famished. I know you're hungry. I know you need it and you want it now, but, but you're going to have some sons. You're going to have 12 of them. And they're going to have some more sons. And those sons are going to become a nation. And that nation is going to be a great nation. They're going to become a slave nation. They're going to end up in, in bondage for 400 years. But, but they're going to become a mighty nation. And they're God's chosen people. And, and they're all going to be a part of your lineage. They're going to cry out to your grandfather's God. They're going to cry out to the God of Abraham. And Esau, you got to understand this. God is going to raise up a man named Moses. And Moses is going to be somebody that God reveals himself to. And when God reveals himself to Moses, when God shows up on the scene and the people are going to be delivered, before you take this stew, Esau, you just got to hear this. When God reveals himself, he's going to reveal himself as this, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. And so it's so important. It's so important what you're doing. God is gonna reveal himself through you. He's gonna announce himself and you're gonna be a part of it. And that's, if that's not enough, fast forward with me. There's gonna be a guy named Matthew. And Matthew is gonna talk about and discuss the lineage of Jesus 2,000 years after this moment and how God would send a son into the world and this son would be the savior and all of this and his name's gonna be Jesus and he's gonna be the savior of the world and he's gonna gather some people around him and some followers and Matthew's one of them and Matthew's gonna write about him and it's gonna be translated. It's gonna be like the best-selling book of all time in every language imaginable and when Matthew writes, his book, when Matthew opens up and when Matthew talks about the lineage of Jesus, he's going to say, I am God, the God, your father, the God of, I'm sorry, he's going to say, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, Abraham, Abraham, the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob. But guess what? That's going to be your name. It's gonna be that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Esau. But if you trade it, that won't happen. And so he trades it. 
In verse 34, Genesis 25, 34, it says, then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew and he ate and drank and then got up and left and despised his birthright. And Esau, let me show you how your story should have played out. Exodus, when God showed up to Moses, he showed up as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when he was announced in Matthew, he was announced as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Matthew chapter one, verse number one. This is the genealogy of Jesus. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob. Esau, you've got no idea what's hanging in the balance of your decision to eat the stew. Esau, you have no idea what you're giving up. But I wasn't there to go back in time with Esau. And the reality is, for most of you, nobody's gonna be there in your moment. It might be a moment in front of you where the stew is here. It seems like the right thing to do and it whispers now. And one bite has the potential to change the trajectory of your entire life. And so we know the story is Jacob and Esau, not Esau and Jacob. We don't know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. We know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because in a moment, he traded something. He traded a future for something right now. And so, here's what I think Esau would say to us if he were to sit down with us. His final words might be this, you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision not to eat the stew. You have no idea. And so the book of Hebrews, as we look at this great cloud of witnesses and we see it described in Hebrews 11 and 12, would say this about Esau. See that no one is sexually immoral, immoral or godless godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance his rights as the oldest son I mean Esau your story could have looked so different you would have been described when God announced himself to people but instead, he was described as godless. Someone who traded, traded a, a future that he did not know about for something immediate. And so the question is this, your hunger, it will either be ruled by you or it will rule you. And so what is your bowl of stew today? We all have it. It's a habit, entertainment, media, 
an event, maybe a shortcut in your career, lust, sin, a need to keep up with the Joneses. It may not be illegal. It may not be immoral. But it may be causing you to trade your future away. And so if God were to, were to put his finger on something today, what would that be in your life? Because all of us, if we don't rule our hunger, it will rule us. And what starts off as something that seems like no big deal can ruin our lives. I don't wanna sit down in a room with you one day and you've lost it all. Respect, a career, your family, your kids, all because of a hunger left unchecked. And so what's your bowl of stew? Because you have no idea. I have no idea what God might want to do through you and through me. And I cannot, I cannot trade it for a bowl of stew. As your pastor, I've got no idea what God might want to do through this church. So guess what? I have to constantly check my hunger because it will rule me or I will rule it. There's too many pastors that we've seen fall into sin because they left their hunger unchecked. And the truth is, we can say things like, it will never happen to me. And the answer is, it can happen to all of us if we don't rule our hunger. And so every day, may there be something inside of you that consciously says, my hunger will not rule me, but I will rule it. Success will not rule me. Respect will not rule me. Stuff will not rule me. Intimacy, lust, greed, entitlement, it will not rule me. Here's what I wanna ask you to do. Please don't trade what you value the most for something you have an appetite for now. Please don't do it. For some of you, that's a sin that you need to give to God today that you've been struggling with and it's been ruining you. For some of you, it's just a habit. And today, I wanna ask that you'd make a trade, that you would trade those things and you would receive the grace of God and the power of his spirit See, it is the power of his spirit that ultimately allows you to rule your hunger. And so with every head bow, every eyes closed, 
What's your bowl of stew? Will you give it to God? It's so healthy to take moments every once in a while and just say, God, I repent. I repent of this thing that is trying to rob me of my future. And I give it to you. And so God, I pray right now that you would put your finger on the stew that's in each of our lives that may not be immoral, may not be illegal, may not just be a sin, but it's something that's causing us to make trades. And God, I, I pray that you would just soften the heart of every person in this room to give it to you. Father, I pray right now that God, you would give us all clean hands and a pure heart. Father, we repent of every sin that's in our life. As the writer says, the sin that so easily entangles us and we throw it off and give it to you so we can run this race with perseverance and we can achieve the prize, the future that you have for each of us. If you're in this room today with nobody looking around and you would say, you know what? The thing I need to trade today is my sin and shame, which I've never fully given to God and receive his forgiveness. The Bible says all of us are sinners and sin separates us. But in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it said that God loved us so much that basically he went to the cross and he endured it with joy and he made a trade for us ultimately where he traded your sin and shame so that you could have forgiveness and everlasting life. The Bible says anyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if that's you in here today and you're like, you know what, today's the day. I'm making the trade. And I'm giving him my, my life and I'm receiving his because my hunger is ruling me and I need the power to rule it. And I know that power will come through the person of Jesus. And so if that's you and nobody looking around and you need to make that trade today, would you just slip up a hand? Nobody's calling you out. Thank you. Would you pray this with me if you slipped your hand up? Would you just say, Jesus, today I give you all of me, all my sin, and I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Today I receive everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen. We do receive that word today, everybody. We love you guys so much. Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Louisville podcast. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the good news of Jesus, you can give by visiting lifepointlou.org forward slash give or text L-C-L-O-U 
to 77977. Thanks so much. We hope you have an incredible week.